0: What the hell is going on? What's really going on? We said, what the hell happened? You don't have to know what the hell is on it. Did they see what's going on? At the- I don't know what's going on. What is going on? We must find out what is going on.
1: Hi, I'm Danielle Pledger. I'm Artisan. Welcome to our podcast. What the hell is going on? Mark, what the hell is going on?
0: What the hell is going on is that Donald Trump just delivered his uh, third State of the Union address, the first State of the Union address to be delivered by a president who is about to be acquitted in his impeachment trial. And uh, so it was, a, it was a historic night. We don't have any guests today. We're going to just me and Danny, we're going to talk about the State of the Union. We're going to talk about impeachment a little and uh, we're going to talk about 2020.
1: Yes. Well, there's so much to talk about, my God. I mean, this has been such a week for Donald Trump. I got to say, you know, you couldn't have planned it more nicely. First of all, the debacle that was the Iowa caucuses. <laughs> so he, he he rolls in with 97 point something percent of the Republican vote in the Iowa uh, caucuses. We still don't know the Democratic results. Yeah. Um, it, it is, Beyond embarrassing. Then, on the heels of that, he comes to the Congress and he delivers. And I don't know what you think, but you you know i'm I'm the I'm the resident Donald Trump critic here. I thought he gave a pretty good speech. I know it wasn't all red meat for the kind of people who like to go to his rallies, mm-hmm. uh, but he delivered a, a what I thought was a really good State of the Union. I gave him a B plus. I'll tell you why when we talk about it. And then he's going to get, unless something changes dramatically, he's going to get acquitted in impeachment. So, hey, Donald Trump, you know, where are you going next? Disney uh, World?
0: <laughs> second term. That's where he's going. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think right now that's where we're on that trajectory. I mean, let's talk a little bit about the State of the Union first, then we'll get into Iowa and all the rest of it. I mean, so, number one, I think that it, it, the behavior of the Democrats, and particularly Nancy Pelosi during the State of the Union address, was just appalling. I mean, everybody's focused on the fact that she tore up so he, you know, at the start of the state, I, I was the lead writer on two State of the Union addresses, so I'm steeped in sort of the history and culture of the State of the Union. And so the pre- first thing is the president, when he comes up, he hands the official copy, which is the, what goes into the the congressional archives, the official State of the Union address, one to the vice president, one to the Speaker of the House. At the end of the speech, she took it and dramatically tore it in front of the cameras. I mean, just how petty and churlish and like that. And then second, the other thing that was completely overlooked, the decorum and tradition of the of the State of the Union is that when this president comes in, the House Speaker introduces the president. And she says, members of Congress, it was my high privilege and distinct honor to introduce the President of the United States. And then everybody breaks down in applause. In 2007, when she was first her first State of the Union as Speaker of the House, we left it out of the printed text that that she got. But President Bush then turned around and said, Madam Speaker, it is my high honor and distinct privilege to be the first president in American history to say the words Madam Speaker and Mm -hmm. brought down the House. So these are sort of the the nice, they're more than niceties. This is the civility that she didn't use high honor and distinct privilege. She just said, members of Congress, the president of the United States. I mean, that went over most people's heads, but it's just so
1: petty. Yeah. You know, it's just horrible. But I mean, I'm sorry. Look, you know. I've said You're going this, to defend I, that? No, no. I've said this a thousand times. The biggest problem with Donald Trump is that everybody says he's unbelievable, he's unique, he's so petty, he's so shallow, he's so immature, he's so vindictive, and yet his opponents have... All sunk to his level. When I saw, you know, I tweeted about this earlier this week when Mike Bloomberg, you know, Donald Trump calls Mike Bloomberg short. And Mike Bloomberg has his spokesman respond, You're fake 10, and you're fake money, and you're fake this. You know, I'm sorry. I hated elementary school. I hated dodgeball. <laughs> I never got picked for kickball. I don't want to relive this with my political leaders. And I thought he was rude not to have shaken Nancy Nancy Pelosi's hand, although. It's
0: not I, clear. That was intentional. Although
1: it, I... l- 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 let's just let's just say let's just say if that was the case it was rude and unnecessary Agreed. she was rude and unnecessary the women of congress all sitting there like a bunch of stumps you know uh, are an embarrassment if you can't bring yourself because of your hatred of donald trump to stand up for that adorable little african american kid and his mom you're just lame and pathetic i'm sorry and and that's that's the issue here but let's talk about soto itself
0: yeah. yeah but i mean staying before we talk about Soto itself staying on this for a second you know i agree with you but i'm sorry you can't blame donald trump for nancy pelosi behaving the way she did you know you can't say that it's donald trump's fault yes i know he's coarsening the rhetoric and i'm not i'm not defending a lot of the things he says but for crying out loud you, everybody who claims that he's coarsening our institutions they're doing more you know impeachment seriously the thinnest stupidest worst prepared impeachment in history talk about taking a an institution and, and lowering it you know yeah, maybe he brings out the worst in people, but they've got it in them. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you know they do, but I, they do. I, I don't think this is the thinnest impeachment. I think it was a reasonable question to be asked. I think my biggest complaint with impeachment, as you know, was not whether what he did was impeachable and whether that was a debatable question, which I actually thought it was. It was that they've been trying to impeach him since before he was elected, sure. and therefore the credibility of the process was demeaned. I don't know. I'm not inclined to, to defend him, but you and I can go back and forth till we're blue in the face on who who was the scummiest, who was the most immature, who was. The most debasing of their office. You know, it's really a race to the bottom. And I let me say something nice about Donald Trump. I thought the State. Hold of the on, Union... wait, 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 wait. Let's have a drum roll. Wait for it. <laughs> 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 I thought the State of the Union was presidential. Mm-hmm. Um, people complained about the fact that he dumped on his predecessors. I'm sorry, every president has dumped on his predecessors, except in his second term when they just go back and talk about how awesome. They All were Barack Obama
0: president. did was talk about the mess he inherited every State of the Union address, every speech he gave for six years, even in his second term.
1: Yeah, no, still complaining I know. about Actually, it. <laughs> I remember that because I commented on it. I remember yeah. I remember that at the time. But but I thought it was a good speech. I did miss the fact that, as I said about Barack Obama, we remain a nation at war. We've got troops that have deployed. The president has sent more troops to, to the Middle East. And I thought he gave very short shrift to national security.
0: I agree with that. I agree with that. There was not a lot of national security. But what he did was Overall, pretty good. I thought that, they, first of all, broadening out a little bit, you know, the use of people in the gallery had become sort of rote for a long time by a lot of presidents. We even like talked about it a couple of times in the Bush administration, not even having anybody that we called out. If right? only. Donald Trump is such a showman. He has use that tool that Ronald Reagan created uh, with Lenny Skutnik, the guy who jumped into the uh, into the Potomac River to save the people from the plane that crashed in yeah. there that he has taken that tradition and taken it to new extremes so he he didn't just introduce a girl in the uh, African American girl and her mom who was denied an opportunity scholarship he turns around you know like Oprah and, <laughs> and says and guess what we've got a surprise for you you're going to get your scholarship yeah. you know he didn't just you know uh, announced that he was giving Rush Limbaugh the the Presidential Medal of Freedom Actually awarded it to what
1: Rush in the chamber. No, it was you think that's awesome. Tacky? It was awesome. So you he like watching welcome... like Ellen and Oprah and those shows? No, no but I just Is this thought your it was secret. Is no, you no. like you're like yeah, secretly exactly a Kathleen Lee that.
0: person? I'm, exactly, you got me. And then he didn't just talk about the sacrifice of military families. He reunited a military fa- family He's the on president. the. President. He's the commander it in chief. So, he can do was whatever so he wants. So awesome. You know, in, in the use of that, and the one that going back to the substance of what you raised, the one that really was, I think, the most Effective was introducing Christopher Hake, the family of Christopher Hake, an American serviceman who was killed by an Iranian IED in Iraq, and then using that to make the point that we killed the man who was directly responsible for his death, Qasem Soleimani, and laying out that case and watching so
1: many of the Democrats wouldn't applaud. You know, uh, yeah, that, it's just. That, look, you know, that, it that's, just, just Absolutely it is. Horrible. It, it partisanship has gotten to a new low, and I I, I want to talk about that in a second, actually. And and we know that, and we keep saying it, and there's only so many times you can say it, and people don't care. I'm really glad that he he was willing to call out the Soleimani strike. I'm really glad that he was willing to honor a family that lost, uh, you know, a father, a son, a brother, as a result of costing Soleimani. I remain absolutely gobsmacked that there is anybody out there who thinks. Oh, as I, I, you know, I testified last week. Jerry Connolly, mm-hmm. congressman from Virginia. Yeah, an assassination of a foreign leader. Like, dude, really? Are you gonna die on this hill? I, I just don't get it. Yes. But needless to say, you know, <laughs> first of all, hearing in the on the hill about something that isn't impeachment, nobody pays attention. Second of all, nobody pays a price for defending the likes of Kassim Soleimani. In, it's incomprehensible to me. So I was really happy that the president called that out. I was really unhappy with the president's repetition of his ridiculous, untrue trope about Afghanistan. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, and what I said on at the time on Twitter is, we've forgotten. You know, no wars don't end. Barack Obama, Donald Trump, wars are won or wars are lost. What you want to do is you want to lose the war and hand it off, hand off victory to the enemy. Nobody will forget that you did that, Donald Trump. Big mistake.
0: Well, let's see if he does it. I mean, to, you know, so he announced that the uh, the talks are started. I don't think they're going to go anywhere. I hope they don't go anywhere. I mean, look, the, the, the one thing he did say in relation to Afghanistan was, which I think is true, is that uh, our soldiers are the best in the world and they either want to fight to win or not fight at all. And I think one of the reasons why he was elected is because people thought we weren't winning anymore. Um, and they were sick of not winning. And so, you know, I think the answer to President Trump on that is, okay, so let's fight to win. And what does winning mean? Winning does not mean transforming Afghanistan from the Stone Age into a Jeffersonian democracy. It doesn't mean that we rebuild it and make it the most prosperous country in the world with American tax dollars. It means that it does not become a sanctuary or a safe haven for terrorists to carry out tax on the American homeland. By that definition of victory, we're winning because there hasn't been attack on the homeland out of Afghanistan since the U.S. went in there. And so, you know, we probably do not need to be spending tens of billions of dollars on reconstruction and all the rest of it. Uh, At this point, it's probably, we can do it with a lighter footprint, as Michael O'Hanlon pointed out when he was here on the show Mm -hmm. uh, recently. We need a light footprint in there to make sure the Taliban doesn't take over, make sure that al-Qaeda and and ISIS don't come in and and build camps to attack us. And uh, we we need to keep that footprint. There, so I hope we, I hope we don't come to some agreement that that results in the total pullout.
1: Well, inshallah, as they say, uh, because uh, I worry about this president and I worry about what he thinks he needs to do to get to, to get reelected. Not, of course, that it's apparently clear that he needs to do anything, because apparently the Democrats will actually reelect him, and he won't need to do. <laughs> he, won't, he, he won't. He won't need to do need to do anything. So. Did you think it was weird, or that this was just a campaign speech that that basically he didn't talk about any of these foreign policy issues at all? Well, he did talk. Did he to... mention North Korea, his his beloved baby uh, uh, Kim Jong Un? He did Jong-un? not
0: mention his dear dear friend uh, Kim Jong Un. But I'll tell you one thing. Beautiful
1: that... letter writer Kim Jong Un. <laughs>
0: One day the correspondence will come out, <laughs> maybe, maybe just
1: like Winston Churchill and Lady Astor. <laughs> no,
0: that's that's actually a really interesting point. He's surprising. He did not mention North Korea at all, which I think is interesting. But I'll tell you one thing, part that I know you liked was having one Guaido. Uh, oh, yeah. up in the up in the gallery, Epic. and his you know saying that uh, the statement he said, and I'm paraphrasing now, was that America is fighting for freedom in, in our hemisphere. Uh, I, that, I wish we were is, fighting
1: effectively for yeah. freedom. You know, one of our first podcasts with, was with Elliot Abrams. Yep. Uh, he's a very good friend of both yours and mine. I'm a huge fan of his, and, and he's a, a great American. But I got to say, I don't think the Maduro's days are numbered. Um, no, it doesn't look
0: like it does. I don't
1: feel like our strategy is really working. I don't know whose fault that is. I suspect that the president actually doesn't want a really high profile effort to, to oust Maduro. Mm-hmm. But um, I was really happy happy to see Guaido there. I thought it was a great gesture. I thought it was exactly the right kind of thing. I love the fact that he started with Latin America. Yeah. You know,
0: not, not traditional starting point for American foreign it, policy in the last couple of decades. Right.
1: So you and I have bitched about the fact that, it's, that there's this bizarre disconnect between um, the fact that the president and so many are so head up about immigration, and yet they're so completely uninterested in why people are emig- emigrating from yeah. Latin American countries. And uh, legal and immigration. Illegal immigration, of I course, think. right. We should underscore not legal immigration which we are both big fans of. Yes. So, uh, one of the things that I, I thought was great, actually, great and kudos to them for the subliminal message as well, is, yeah, we actually care a lot about what happens in Latin America and in South America. Good on Donald Trump for going to that directly, for not going to those sweet applause lines about terrorism or even about Qasem Soleimani or about Baghdadi. He went to Latin America, introduced Guaido. It was great for him. I wonder if Guaido's ever going to get back into Venezuela now. <laughs>
0: Well, um, but just so going back to what he said, uh, he said Maduro is an illegitimate ruler, a tyrant who brutalizes the people. But Maduro's grip on tyranny will be smashed and broken. Those are bold words, and uh, maybe we get Roger got to come in and uh, and uh, tell us how again smashing... how do we actually smash and break uh, Maduro's right. grip because we're not doing it. Right How's that now. smashing and breaking but, going? But forward? you know what, the the intent is there, and uh, and I think also he likes uh, the Venezuela issue because he sees it as a. I mean, the first the next line he said at the end of it was socialism destroys nations. freedom unifies the soul. It's a pivot to his domestic fight, which right. is Because we literally... I love that
1: line. By the way, you know, I didn't I didn't catch that that line. This was actually one of the nicer written speeches by yes. the president, yeah. I think, as well. And and so kudos to his speechwriter. And it was also very well delivered. Yes. The president was disciplined. He didn't go off message too. Low key. Much.
0: He didn't he wasn't too worked up. It was very delivered in a very
1: now I wonder if deliver- these um, giant rallies that he's been doing every twenty seconds that have, have really given him some practice on that speech no, making he- because it was I thought it was surprisingly and notably well delivered. I love that Venezuela line. Read it again, where is it?
0: Uh, socialism destroys nations, but always remember freedom unifies the soul. And he used it as a pivot to his domestic, the domestic challenges we face, which is, I mean, right now, if you look at Iowa, Bernie Sanders, if if it wasn't for Elizabeth Warren as as a, literally an anchor around Bernie Sanders's neck, he would be running away with the nomination if she wasn't splitting the Democratic Socialist vote up with him. And so we really could be having a an election that's a, a referendum on whether we want to go embrace socialism or not.
1: Yes, it's, well. It's, Stalin getting the lost laugh. Stalin and Lennon getting the lost laugh there. <laughs> exactly. you, not to gossip at all, uh, but to come back to that, that, that question of who, who wins Iowa and what it says about the 2020 election and, and, and who the opponent is going to be. Did you did you see that that little squib about John Kerry being caught on a phone call in a hotel in Iowa yeah. where he was talking about jumping into the race because Bernie's such a disaster? Yeah. I mean, oh my God, is this what they've come to? You know that's what Hillary Clinton is thinking. Oh, of course. Absolutely. Well, I mean, look, do we want to pivot yet to the uh, to, to Iowa? Yeah,
0: what the heck, pivot. let's pivot. Okay, then we'll come back. Um, so, yeah, so I just came back from Des Moines. I was there uh, for the Fox News coverage, so I witnessed the debacle. We had to fill... What four or five hours of airtime with no news at all? Because literally, (laughs) that's
1: okay. That that should be easy.
0: It was was quite a challenge coming up with talking points when nothing was happening. It was like I almost went on air. I was so punchy by about eleven thirty or so that literally they ended up not doing the segment. I was going to go off and say, "Brett, Martha, Generalissimo Francisco Franco is still dead." (laughs) It's
1: literally that's all the news. That's a great SNL line. Yeah, Um, but you know what
0: a debacle! What an absolute debacle! And you know the the thing is this could only happen in a Democratic caucus. And the the reason is simple, is because only Democrats could come up with a plan that is so complicated that it's guaranteed to fail. So the system that they set up.
1: You're really just saying that Republicans aren't smart enough, aren't you? No. (laughs) So, So a normal election, a normal,
0: even a caucus, the way you do it is you have a vote, you tally the results, and you announce the winners, right? The Republican caucus, they have one vote, Everybody caucuses. They don't go into the polling booth. They go into their corners and back their candidates. They count them up and they say, "Okay, Donald Trump won with 96 percent. You know, just like Kim Jong-un with 96 percent of the vote. Right. Uh, You know, the Democrats had like so they had the first alignment, which is everybody comes in, the popular vote. Everybody comes in. And then after that, anyone who didn't get 15 percent is declared unviable, which included in many precincts Joe Biden. So like a wake up call. Hello, Joe Biden is unviable. Yes, we've been telling you that for months. And so then those people of the unviable candidates get to go and caucus with another group, and then they have the final alignment, another vote. And then after the final alignment, they use those results to calculate the number of state delegate equivalents, or SDEs, the convention de- – state convention delegates awarded FGDs. to each candidate. No, SDEs. Oh, thank you. Sorry. I her. <laughs> and then – And those are not rewarded. They're rewarded. They're not contagious. They're they're not contagious. (laughs) You can't get them. Just you. You don't have to wear a face mask, (laughs) unlike the coronavirus. And then those are based on proportional basis, based on the turnout levels in the last two general elections. And then those are then used to determine how many
1: delegates you get to the national convention. This is the most. Okay, so they thought this was going to work. Rube Goldberg (laughs) is running the Democratic Party apparently in Iowa. Okay, that is a that is a disaster. But it's. I, I think that honestly, if. Iowa had come out okay and and had sorted the way that people suspected with Pete Buttigieg maybe up at the top and Bernie Sanders pulling it away, you know, all of the current narrative being reinforced, it still wouldn't help the fact that Bernie Sanders is... Really doing well yeah. uh, at the top of the lineup at this point, well, and that the Democrats to
0: have won the first the first alignment, the first alignment, the popular, the popular vote.
1: In the next five year plan, he's <laughs> definitely going to win the first and the second alignment. <laughs> but but what what does this say? The Democrats, you know, again, uh, you and I talk about the disconnect. Well, what between... it says, by the
0: way, this is the party. Only the only people who could come up with this this system are the same people who came up with the Green New Deal and Medicare for All. Something mm-hmm. so complicated that it could only fail. So this is th- this is their their entire way of thinking.
1: Well, you know, I mean, I appreciate the desire of people to try to be equitable and to try to be fair and to try to find a system. The problem is they have their heads so far up their butts they can't actually think straight. And and that goes for everybody, I would say, uh, you know, who, who is engaged in the caucus system and in the primary system. But none of this addresses the fact that the Democratic Party is cruising to a candidate that is unelectable. And you and I, I know we agree about this. You want to have people on both sides of the aisle who are electable. You want to have a good race. You do not want the president to not win, but have the other party simply go and lose. You want to have a discussion about what needs to be done in America. We do have real challenges. and I. Again, coming back to Soto for a second, I like the fact that Trump talked about a lot of the issues that do affect his base. Mm-hmm. I don't think that he's being um political or in inappropriate campaign mode when he talks about unemployment rates among blacks or among Hispanics or uh, among women. I think that's awesome. I love that. I couldn't believe the Democrats didn't stand up for the unemployment numbers, which are you know which are are a credit to him, no matter what no matter what we think of him. But I think that's what this election is gonna look like. It's gonna look like a combination of the Iowa caucuses and those angry ladies sitting like stumps on one side not being for good news in America.
0: Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. I actually was very impressed with the effort he made to reach out to African-American voters. I mean, it wasn't just the African-American unemployment rate. Uh, he talked about the Opportunity Zones, and he actually introduced a person who had been a homeless drug addict who, through Opportunity Zones, got his act together, got a job as a tradesman, and is successful. He announced that he had given a Brigadier General stars on the shoulders of a Tuskegee Airman that was beautiful. Uh, who just celebrated his 100th birthday. By
1: the way, he, did you notice how awesome that man looked? Oh, my gosh. I mean, P- together, standing up, not in a wheelchair, uniform, spick and span. And I mean, he looked it like he just stepped out of a bandbox. It, it was, was
0: such a proud moment. It was so awesome. But I mean, he talked about uh, funding for historically black colleges and universities. He talked about the African-American unemployment rate, the youth African-American youth unemployment rate. He t- he mentioned Martin Luther King, Harriet Tugman, Frederick Douglass. Uh, he's going to make a real push for the African-American vote. Now, he, everybody says, well, the African-American vote's not going to come around to him. He doesn't have to. He, I think he got like 8% in the last election of the African-American vote. If he can double that, that is a big problem for the Democrats.
1: Well, but I mean that's what the Republican Party should do. It shouldn't yeah. pretend to be the party of white people. Exactly. And that trope that it has become the party of white people, which started very aggressively when Mitt Romney was the candidate yes. and, you know, the, Donald Trump got a higher percentage of the of the African American vote than Mitt Romney, not not surprisingly. But I don't understand why anyone objects to the idea that the president of the United States should try to be the president for all Americans, Amen. not just for one particular sector. It's what offends us when he in fact Casts himself as the president only of sort of, you know, the downtrodden whites, uh, the aggrieved whites, the people who are suffering from anti white racism. That is offensive. He didn't do any of that. He was good Donald Trump. He was good Donald Trump on foreign policy for the most part. I think that it will be very interesting to see. Now, what I wanted to say to you. I just got back from a couple conferences in Germany. What is incredible is that the derangement that apparently afflicts people like, you know, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, who boycotted the State of the Union last night, although sorely missed, I'm sure, by her compatriots. (laughs) Uh, She's a popular one. But what was what is amazing is that sort of bizarre derangement overseas. Yeah. Oh my God! It's everywhere. It's Absolutely mainstream. So when you talk to you know foreign governments, foreign leaders, foreign opinion makers about the United States, they are nuts about Donald Trump, and you know that is just that bodes so ill for foreign policy, for our ability to do things together. It was really troubling.
0: Well, I'll tell you something. One of the points that he made in the foreign policy section of the speech, which I thought that was very important and true, is he's gotten those allies to kick in four hundred billion dollars more to our collective defense as a result of his pressure campaign. So all the people, you know, Donald Trump is not a creature of Washington. He's an outsider. He's not just a creature. (laughs) He's he is a he is unaccustomed to our ways, um, (laughs) and uh, and doesn't pay them much heed. And so he looks at NATO coming in, and he says. I have to say that we'll come to their defense but they're not going to but they're not paying their 2%. No, I'm not going to say that. Doesn't mean I'm not going to come to their defense. Doesn't mean I'm going to pull out of NATO. I'm not going to say that until they start paying. Oh, and guess I- what? Doubled the number of countries meeting their 2% uh, commitment to of uh, GDP. They're supposed to spend 2% of their GDP on defense and it's not paying us. He's wrong about that. It's not paying no, us for know. their defense, but they're paying their they're Investing in their in their military budgets, NATO was stronger because he was unwilling to mouth the words that the establishment wants him to mouth. Same thing with China, the tariff threats and the tariffs that he's imposed. Well, guess what? He got a, a phase one deal that is uh, it's okay, and, and it, it's it's a start. He's
1: making progress. Well, you know uh, we've we've talked about this. I'm very impressed by his willingness and his courage in taking on the Chinese. I'm not overly impressed by what he's actually achieved, and I think that we we can. Uh, credit his trade wars and tariff wars for a lot of the sputtering that we saw in the economy last year. So let's hope that it, we go from deal to deal rather than we go Agreed. from ridiculous ultimatum to ridiculous ultimatum. Those are things that I think he, he got. And I agree, he took appropriate credit for some of them last night. His willingness to take on the Chinese is something that has really heartened a lot of our allies in the Pacific. You know, everybody talks about the fact that we're abandoning them. And the answer is, no, guys, you know, having an empty pivot in the Obama administration. That's being abandoned. <laughs> Having a president who'll stand up to the Chinese, who'll stand up to what they're doing in the South China Sea, as the Trump administration has, has been all to the good. So here's my exit question for you, Mark. Yep. Um, this is his last State of the Union as president in his first term. Yep. We have an election between this and the next State of the Union. And so if there is, if Donald Trump and the Republican Party loses the next election, there will be a different president giving the next so-too. <laughs> Stick with Trump for a sec. If you had to make your best prediction, and he wins re-election, and I think you and I agree he's on track to do that, what is the next State of the Union? What does the liberated Donald Trump look like? Well, first, Same? Of, well, first of all, I
0: think we just we see, are seeing the liberated Donald Trump right now. I don't think we have to wait till the next State of the Union, because the reality is, for three years, they have thrown everything they have at Donald Trump. Two years of the Mueller investigation, which ended up being nothing but a chasing a conspiracy theory, put our paralyzed our country. They tried to take him down with that, it didn't work. Then the Ukraine thing, which admittedly, stupid mistake on his part, self created, but they tried to take that, that slip and turn it into an impeachment, and it has backfired on them like you would not believe. Gallup poll just came out yesterday, okay? In October of last year, When this impeachment inquiry started in earnest, the hearings, he was at 39% approval. Today, 49% approval, his highest level since Gallup began taking the poll. 52% think he should be acquitted, 46% think he should be convicted. The support for impeachment has gone absolutely down. Democratic approval, the approval of the Democrats has gone down from 48 to 45. Republican approval up from 43% to 51% today. Trump deserves re-election. Fifty percent of the country; those are the best numbers. Donald Trump has had the impeachment has absolutely backfired on them. Yeah, um, and Nancy and,
1: Pelosi. And, Nancy Pelosi knew this was going to happen. She predicted it. She, she said she knew this was going to happen. All credit to her, and she got bullied into doing this. And as a result, had to sit behind that guy, knowing yesterday, and you just you you could see it in her face, knowing I've probably helped this man.
0: Get reelected. The number one aider and a better of the Trump reelection if it happens. And to be so petulant, you know, Trump for everyone said, oh, so political, so, you know, attacked his, as you pointed out, attacked his predecessors. You know what the word he didn't mention is? Impeachment. Not once. Well, he why, why? walked into the chamber that had just tried to carry out a constitutional coup against his presidency, and he beat them. He's going to be acquitted today. And he didn't say a word about it. The temptation to say when she said, members of Congress, the president of the United States, would have been to lean into the mic and say, and still the president of the United States. And it would have been a huge applause line. He didn't do it. He stayed above the fray. And during this whole impeachment, I mean, it, t- it must have taken an extraordinary discipline because his instincts are telling him to do the opposite. What was he doing while they're having the trial? He's signing a deal with China signing the USMCA, going to the March for Life, having briefings on the coronavirus and dealing with that. He's governing while they're impeaching. And I think that now he's survived it. They took their best shot. You know, it's the famous phrase, if you're going to take out the king, you better kill him. They didn't kill the king. So he, I think last night was Trump freed from all of this. And, you know, it was pretty good.
1: I think... That was Trump at his high point, And I worry a lot about what a liberated Donald Trump will do. I hope, very much hope, you are right and I am wrong. And with that, thank you all for listening. Hope you all got to sit through. We didn't even talk about the Democratic response. Who, who gave it?
0: Governor of Michigan. I, I will tell you, I think both parties should just say, you know
1: what? Yeah. Not doing anything. I don't watch it. Yeah, it, doesn't, I, I, it doesn't matter what party it is. I never watch the response. Mr.
0: President, I, reserve, I return the balance of my time is what the answer should be when it comes to do you want to give the Republican or Democratic response.
1: just all go watch reruns of Friends together. <laughs> and with that, folks, thanks so much for listening and being with us. We'll be back with a great guest next week. We're really looking forward to it. Take care. And our team here at AEI is Alexa Santry, Matt Winesett, Jen Moretta,
0: and Macy Heath.